This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Cardiology Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Joseph Carroza, Vice President of Stewart Cardiovascular Network. Dr. Carroza, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Before we dive into the questions, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. Uh, I'm a graduate of the New York University School of Medicine, uh, and then I did my medical residency and fellowship in cardiovascular medicine and interventional cardiology at Beth Israel Hospital, Harvard Medical School in Boston. I am presently the chief of cardiovascular medicine at Stewart St. Elizabeth's Medical Center in Boston and the vice president of the Stewart Cardiovascular Network, as well as professor of medicine at the Tufts University School of Medicine. Well, fantastic. We can dive right in. What are your top three biggest issues in cardiology today? Well, there's no escaping COVID, right? So I believe that managing cardiovascular disease, both during and then after the COVID pandemic, uh, is really going to be one of the biggest challenges. We've certainly have seen that uh, there's been significant care avoidance amongst patients who have been reluctant to come to the hospital or to uh, follow up with their cardiologists and physicians. And care avoidance, I often say, means disease, chronic disease management leads to disease progression. When you lose time in managing chronic disease, you allow it, the disease to progress. It's like a smoldering fire. In addition, we've seen lifestyle changes that have occurred during the pandemic, which have had very deleterious effects on cardiovascular health, namely weight gain, less activity with people avoiding gyms, as well as people working from home and um, not getting their usual amount of just daily exercise and activity. So I think co managing COVID during and after the pandemic is, is, is a major issue. The second issue, I believe, is access to disease-altering medications. Cardio cardiology is a wonderful example and case study of some of the most amazing medications and therapies that we have to offer our patients that really will make a difference in terms of managing some of the chronic diseases we have like congestive heart failure and ischemic heart disease. And while these medicines are approved by the FDA, they're often wildly expensive. And while payers will say they cover the medications, the out-of-pocket costs of, of many of these medications make them unattainable for patients. So on the, we're like children looking in a candy store. We see these wonderful medications that are available, but our patients can't afford them and we can't put them on them. And then finally, I think the third issue is really COVID has highlighted a lot of the healthcare disparities in cardiovascular medicine. And I think Congestive heart failure is, is, is really one of the, the best examples of that, that management of congestive heart failure goes beyond just medications and uh, hospital care, but really requires a community-based approach where we know that uh, many uh, patients and many communities don't have access to good health care and where things like diet and lifestyle and even ability to get to the physician uh, is, is compromised in these communities. So 
you know, COVID really did highlight uh, many of these uh, many of these disparities, and and is really forcing us to think long and hard about how to deal with them going forward. Got it. That's you know really interesting to think about. And from your perspective, especially when you're looking at some of the disparities and being able to manage and, and treat um, patients with heart disease, you know, are there any um, solutions that you see ahead, or is it really you know something that is still very much in the beginning stages of working to close those gaps? Well, I think the first the first step to addressing this is one in the recognition of the problem. I think you know it's very easy to be misled when you're working at an academic medical center and seeing the you know the wonderful uh, therapies that we have and uh, uh, and treatments and how you know many of our patients who can afford these this care get really top level care but there's a whole stratum of patients who have trouble affording their rent trouble with buying healthy food trouble with exercise uh, that uh, we, we, I think, overlooked. And I think we now recognize there is a problem when you're trying to manage chronic diseases like hypertension, like heart failure, um, like hypercholesterolemia, that lifestyle and how the patients are living is critical to managing the disease state. So I think we're shifting a lot of our emphasis from, okay, what can we do in the hospital? We know we can do a lot of wonderful things in the hospital, but when the patients leave the hospital, we have to really pay attention to not just their lives, not just what they did in the hospital, but what kinds of things can we do to improve their management of their disease, whether it's affording their medications, being able to get to the doctor's office, transportation, eating healthy foods, uh, weight management, um, all of these things, I think we're now starting to recognize that we have to do a better job at managing a disease state in the community, even from the academic medical center standpoint, Otherwise, uh, we're going to lose. We're going to lose this battle, and we and we've we've certainly have seen it again with things like the epidemic of diabetes, congestive heart failure, hypertension. Uh, what we're you know what we're doing in the hospital doesn't really translate very well into how we manage these diseases successfully in the community. Got it. That's you know interesting to hear and think about, and definitely something to be able to to consider in terms of making changes in the future. I'm wondering, how do you see heart care evolving over the next 18 months? Well, I think there are some opportunities and there's some challenges. I think you know we we learned how to use telemedicine, for example, uh, during COVID, and I think in the right settings, it was it was wonderful. Patients who could not get to the hospital, elderly patients, patients who couldn't get transportation to come to the hospital, patients who had to care for their children uh, at home because they didn't have child care. Telemedicine was really you know, a, a, a godsend. But I think we have to be careful about this pendulum going in the opposite direction. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of emphasis and a lot of proprietary telemedicine companies now that are, are really trying to promote this mantra that you can deliver the same level of health care chronically without ever 
seeing your physician. And I think we have to learn how to balance the two, especially in, in a discipline like cardiology, where we rely so much on the physical examination, the EKG, the vital signs, uh, and also the, you know, the connection with the patient in person is a lot different than what you get over telemedicine. Uh, you know, there's a, a certain healing aspect of examining a patient, putting your hands on the patient. You make a connection with the patient that you don't do over uh, telemedicine. So I think telemedicine should stay and we should use it responsibly, but I don't think we should uh, use it to replace face-to-face visits. So I I think that's going to be one of our challenges as we come out of the pandemic and patients are starting to come back you know, to, you know, to their medical care is how do we use this, these new technologies responsibly? Got it. Yeah. I think that's really interesting to think about, you know, figuring out when it makes sense to do the telemedicine and and when you really need the in-person connection with the patients and, and being able to be in the same room obviously has clear benefits. What are you excited about today? What makes you nervous? I'm excited about the fact that we're breaking down a lot of silos in cardiovascular medicine using the what we call the heart team approach. So it used to be that you had the cardiologists sort of in one silo, the cardiac surgeons in another silo, uh, and within cardiology, we had subspecialties like interventional cardiology, electrophysiology, imaging, and oftentimes we work uh, not together. We worked in our own little, you know, sphere and our own comfort zone. Now today we realize diseases are so complex and a lot of our therapies overlap. Uh, so for example, the best example is, uh, is transcatheter aortic valve replacement where, you know, every patient that we consider or potentially offer this therapy to, we do it first with a discussion of the whole heart team, meaning the interventional cardiologist, the cardiac surgeon, the imaging specialist, et cetera, so that we come up with really the best approach for the patient. And, you know, in my 30 years in cardiology, uh, this has really been something that we've always hoped would happen. And I think today we're finally starting uh, to see that happening. Uh, the second thing I'm excited about is, you know, using the lessons that we've learned about the SARS-CoV-2 virus to understand the primary role of inflammation in cardiovascular disease. I think this is something that uh, was emerging before COVID, but I think now that we see we have, unfortunately, this model of a virus which does a lot of its uh, damage through inflammation, that how the inflammation impacts the cardiovascular system. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot we're going to learn beyond just, uh, uh, you know, COVID itself uh, that has to do with basic cardiovascular, you know, physiology. Uh, What am I nervous about? Uh, Again, we've, you know, we have wonderful technology available uh, today to treat cardiovascular disease, but you know technology can become you know its you know its own Frankenstein, right? Uh, you know the more you focus on technology, the more you lead to a depersonalization of of care, and you know patient compliance with whether it's medication or diet or rehabilitation or 
Um, the treatments that we offer in the hospital really involves a buy-in from the patient. And I think as we're moving more and more toward, you know, cardiologists who do, you know, who are super, super specialized uh, and, you know, are become, you know, this is my job, I'm going to fix this problem and I'm going to do this procedure, whatever, we're losing our personal focus on uh, patient care. And, you know, cardiovascular disease is one of those um, one of those areas where there's very few one-time fixes. Most of the diseases we deal with are chronic. You know, we treat, you know, some of the manifestations of the chronic disease, but we never actually, in, in most of the time, ever really cure patients. So, you know, getting patients to, you know, to be part of the team uh, and to get them to, you know, to comply really does involve, you know, moving sometimes away from the technology and back to the personalization of healthcare. Interesting. Yeah, I, I love that kind of analysis in terms of being able to have so much that's excited about um, things that are happening, innovations, but at the same time wanting to make sure you don't lose that personal connection with patients and being able to really care for them on an individual level is obviously so important. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, can you share three pieces of advice for emerging physician leaders today? Sure. I, I think this is, you know, something that hasn't, you know, changed over, you know, over decades uh, of medicine is medicine is, involves lifetime learning and reading is critical. And I think that it's 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 so much more important today when we're now really trying to deliver what we call evidence-based medicine so reading the literature learning about clinical studies learning about evidence is is not something you 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 do during medical school and then you know maybe do every now and then because you're due to recertify for your boards i think you know the best physicians really stay connected with the body of, of work that's out there. The second thing I would say is, um, is, is learn how to take ownership of your patient's care. Again, rather, you know, I'm, a, I'm an interventional cardiologist, so I do procedures, but I think it's important that uh, my patient doesn't just view me as some sort of technologist. Okay, he's going to do my procedure today, and then, you know, I move on to someone else that you really have to take ownership of your patient's cardiovascular care because if you build a relationship with your patient and the family, um, they will trust you and it's a lot easier to get them to work with you with therapies that sometimes are scary or, you know, sometimes it's hard to convince somebody why it's important to take two cholesterol-lowering medicines when they feel fine. If you have that relationship with your patient and their families, they're more likely to, uh, to work with you to, to manage their disease rather than feeling like, okay, you know, the, he's going to dictate to me what needs to be done, and I'm not part of uh, I'm not part of the team. And then finally, uh, communication. Uh, you know, with electronic medical records these days, and you know, doctors oftentimes not coming to the hospital, primary care physicians who are working out of the office. It's absolutely critical that we communicate with our colleagues because many of our patients have multiple specialists. Sometimes they have more than one cardiologist. And, 
you know, if we're all operating in isolation, then we're not going to deliver the best care for our patients. So, you know, giving your your colleagues your cell phone number, calling them after a procedure, uh, calling them after you've been asked to see one of their patients and come up with a treatment plan is is so important to uh, to making sure that everybody knows what everybody else is doing. Dr. Carosa, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fantastic discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. My pleasure. Have a good day.